Welcome and hello to each and every one of you, whoever you are, wherever you are. I want to say to you that it is a genuine joy to share this Sunday morning with you. I was saying to the people last week at at, uh, Muckert, don't you think that so often we spend our lives emotionally and spiritually as though we are always in an airport lounge, coming from somewhere or going to somewhere and never quite being present where we are? Sundays is a good day to stop living in an airport, to stop thinking about somewhere in the future or somewhere in the past, and to just be present in the present. So we just come before God now as we stop on this Sunday morning to give him our prayers and our thanks. Father, we are here. And we have come to you this morning to stop and to give you our thanks, to offer you our prayers and to attend to the voice of your word. Today, we lift our voices in thanksgiving and our hearts in praise to you. Each one of us, old and young, rich and poor, sick and healthy, believer and unbeliever, native and migrant, is known to and cherished by you. For you are a God who loves each of us and all of us with a relentless, merciful and tender love. You are a God who desires for each of us to flourish under the blessing of your love in this life. And this morning, we will stop and meditate on that truth. And out of that meditation, we will give you our prayers and our thanksgiving. For you are a good God. A good God who is always bestowing and manifesting his goodness towards us. For this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And now... Stephen is going to bring us our first reading from the book of Nehemiah. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Nehemiah at chapter 8, reading verses 5 to 10 from the Good News Version. Nehemiah chapter 8 at verse 5. As Ezra stood there on the platform high above the people, they all kept their eyes fixed on him. As soon as he opened the book, they all stood up. Ezra said, Praise the Lord, the great God. All the people raised their arms in the air and answered, Amen, Amen. They knelt in worship with their faces to the ground. Then they rose and stood in their places, and the following Levites explained the law to them. Yeshua Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peliah. They gave an oral translation of God's law and explained it so that the people could understand it. When the people heard what the law required, they were so moved that they began to cry. So Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scholar of the law, and the Levites who were explaining the law, told all the people, 
This day is holy to the Lord your God. So you are not to mourn or cry. Now go home and have a feast. Share your food and wine with those who haven't enough. Today is holy to our Lord, so don't be sad. The joy that the Lord gives you will make you strong. In the light of that passage in Nehemiah about a people who are rediscovering their identity as the people of God, it seems appropriate that we as his people should gather before our fathers and offer him the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory now and forevermore. Amen. And now Stephen will bring us our second reading from the Gospel of Luke. Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Luke at chapter 4, reading verses 16 to 30, again from the Good News version. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, at verse 16. Then Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went as usual to the synagogue. He stood up to read the scriptures and was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Set free the oppressed and announce that the time has come when the Lord will save his people. Jesus rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the people in the synagogue had their eyes fixed on him as he said to them, This passage of scripture has come true today as you heard it being read. They were all well impressed with him and marvelled at the eloquent words that he spoke. They said, Isn't he the son of Joseph? He said to them, I am sure that you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. You will also tell me to do here in my hometown the same things you heard were done in Capernaum. I tell you this, Jesus added, a prophet is never welcomed in his hometown. Listen to me. It is true that there were many widows in Israel during the time of Elijah, when there was no rain for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread throughout the whole land. Yet Elijah was not sent to anyone in Israel, but only to a widow living in Zerapath, in the territory of Sidon. And there were many people suffering from a dreaded skin disease who lived in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha. Yet not one of them was healed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue 
heard this, they were filled with anger. They rose up and dragged Jesus out of the town and took him to the top of the hill on which their town was built. They meant to throw him over the cliff. But he walked through the middle of the crowd and went his way. I remember as a new Christian being told by one of my pastors, Tony, you will have as much of God as you want. There's some truth in that, friends, that we all have as much of God as we are willing to take the time to receive. Last week, I spoke to you about the subject of losing Jesus. And this week, I want to carry on with that same theme of letting go. Letting go of age-old presuppositions in order to rediscover age-old truths. I often wonder how often we use our own images of God to protect us from the real thing. How often do our self-made, self-managed, personally designed images of God serve to prevent God from getting too close to us? The two stories that were read to us this morning are about two different responses to God's act of restoration and renewal. In the story in the book of Nehemiah, the act of restoration and renewal began when the people of God realized who they were. But in the story in Luke's gospel, restoration and renewal was resisted with the scornful question, who is this? Who are you? In Nehemiah, the people wept as they rediscovered their identity as the people of God. And they wept in grateful response to their restoration and renewal. But in Luke, the people at Nazareth angrily refused to come to terms at what their recognition of that restoration would cost them personally. There are a lot of reasons why people would respond like the people at Nazareth. But one such reason is that people would often rather live with the expectation of a future blessing than to have to live with the impact of experiencing a present blessing. How about you? Do you have any expectations of God's blessings? And if you do, do you expect him to do anything with you or do you think he's done with you? Is it that you think you have nothing left to give or that you no longer want to give what you have? Are you like the poet who wrote, I've always viewed life from the sidelines, just watching it pass me by. In the past, too afraid just to let go and live, and lately, too tired to try. And tell me, friends, do you expect God to do anything with the church that you now worship with? And what are you waiting for God to do? What are you expecting him to do? What do you think it will look like when it happens? Do you want it to happen? And do you want it to happen now? Or would you prefer to keep hoping and keep waiting? In the story of Jesus at Nazareth, Jesus has arrived in the town. He has recently come out of the desert. He has traveled via the Jordan River where John the Baptist has publicly hailed him as the Lamb of God. Along the way, he has recruited some disciples and performed some miracles. So when he arrives at Nazareth, it is with a reputation. And perhaps that was behind the invitation to speak. Now, just note what happens in the story. Jesus stands to read and sits to preach. Does that matter? No, not really. Our rituals are our rituals. 
not God's. They are our habits of worship. Friends, all of our liturgies of worship are ultimately born of our own imaginations. But it says this, he opened the book. Jesus reading the Bible. Jesus opened the book and read about himself. Like the people in the story from Nehemiah, if we want to know who we are, we need to open the Bible more often. Only then will we learn who we truly are and what we are called to be and how we are going to do the being. Friends, it is not less but more of the Bible that is needed. Without such knowledge of our true identity, we will continue to live in exile, existing on meager rations and ultimately starving our souls to death. And it says, he closed the book. This, in a sense, was symbolic of the fact that this was a new day for Israel. The old was finished. The old had passed and the new had arrived. I wonder, are there books in your life that you need to close? Stories that have told you about yourself, but are stories that are no longer true about you. Are there books that we need to close as a church because they are yesterday's book on how to do church? Do we, like the people in Nehemiah, need to be reminded anew of who we are? Do we, like the people in the Gospel of Luke at Nazareth, need to be reminded of who God really is and what he really intends to do through his church? Is God calling us as he was the people in Nazareth, to embrace the challenge of the new. You see, when Jesus closed the book and spoke, he told the people that the future had arrived. Now, initially the people liked what they heard, but then they took offense. Why? Was it because they expected the future to look more like the past? That they expected the future to be something that confirmed the rightness of their ways, their old ways of doing things? Something that would say that God would work in the ways that they expected him to. But Jesus told them that God was doing an old thing in a new way. And that if they rejected what God was doing in their midst, in their day, he would find others to share it with. That stung. They heard the rebuke in Jesus' stories. The rebuke that told them that although they claimed to want God, in truth they only wanted him on their terms. In other words, whatever God was doing or going to do had to be first passed by them. And their initial wind of favor towards Jesus quickly turned into a gale force rejection. Note their remarks. Is this not Joseph's son? Who does he think he is? Isn't that often the way? When stung by the truth, we seek to deflect it by pretending to take offense, not at the message, but at the messenger? While pretending to agree with the central tenets of a message, they sought to deflect God's word to them by querying the source. They were, in a sense, rejecting the gift in the guise of debating the quality of the wrapping. You know, one of the things of note in the Bible is how often God appears in acts in ways that those who 
profess faith in him and claim to know him are often puzzled by his acts, puzzled by the appearance of his actions, leery of it and sometimes outright resistant to it. Perhaps because he chooses so often to reveal himself by unexpected means, like a burning bush or through the mouth of an old shepherd with a stutter or as an infant in a manger, as an ordinary member of a local synagogue or in the form of a person of questionable parentage and social status. The people at Nazareth were having problems with the means and methods God was choosing to reveal himself to them by. They and their ancestors had prayed for many years for God to bring renewal, redemption and restoration to his people. And what they had prayed for and hoped for was now happening, but it was not happening in the way that they had imagined it would and should. Surely they thought it had to be different. Not like this. Not not so concrete. Not so fixed in time and space. Not here. Not now. Not him. The people's response to what God was doing at Nazareth that day happens all the time. People feel uncomfortable. Even the people who believe in him feel uncomfortable when God shows up in concrete form. In this case, in the form of a real person, a person who commanded a response. The reason people get uncomfortable with God fulfilling his promise and purpose in their presence is that it puts all their desires and favorite ideas about synagogue and church and their leisurely manageable theology about God in danger. If we are honest, friends, more often than not, we prefer to be left to our imaginations about who God is, to our own personal inclinations about what concepts like salvation and church actually mean. And sometimes we need to ask ourselves if we prefer to live in hope rather than experience. We prefer to live in the hope of a blessing rather than dealing with the actual experience of living with the realities of having that blessing given to us in the present. Perhaps we need to close our books and to open his book to lose the manageable God of our hopes and give ourselves to the experience of a God who is present now and who wants to and still has work for all of us to do. God bless you all. Friends, let me pray with you and for you. Lord, I pray that we who are your church would be helped by you to enter fully into the blessings that you are giving us and desire to bestow upon us right now. That we as your church may learn to live and act in such a way that all whom we meet will through our witness also come to experience the healing of your grace and the wonderful experience of being accepted by you in your mercy. Help us, Father, to be agents for good, ambassadors for inclusion, advocates for justice, heralds of your gospel. Deliver us, Father, from being simply bearers of religious opinions or mere defenders of religious practices. Rather, help us to become confident heralds of the new thing you are doing in Jesus. 
to be the physical embodiment of your gospel to all whom we meet. Grant us, Father, that we may learn every day to be open to your work in our midst that day at this time and to respond with an openness to your purpose and a willingness to do that which you ask of us in seeing those purposes fulfilled. This we ask for your glory and the good of all. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, friends, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing so that you may do his will. May he work in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.